Welcome to uh, our podcast today. I'm kind of figuring this out, to be honest with you. So today's discussion, though, for those joining us, is really going to be about what we're going to call the Portugal flip. We uh, a lot of discussion going across the country right now. You know, what can we do to improve our situation? In America and adopt some of these policies other countries have taken and one of them is Portugal model and how do we get America to flip from Portugal to America a lot of agencies and organizations working on this it's not an easy task to do got a big road in front of us but we are definitely gonna get there the um, I got Frank Ballinger with me, Belanja, however you want to say it, and uh, Nathan over here. And, you know, in case I miss a question, y'all got to be looking because, um, as you can see over here, which says comments, I'm not acute enough to fork this we, thing. We got the comments. <laughs> and also, we're live from the McShen Foundation here in Richmond, Virginia, doing our job, uh, holding down the fort, serving newcomers that are coming into recovery, and uh, exercising social distances and sheltering in place for our sober homes. And we're six feet apart. It doesn't look like it, but we probably are. That's six feet in metrics, you well, know. <laughs> but you know, for those of you who are familiar with the Portugal model, it's been around for a while. They started in 2001. They were looking for a way to reduce the uh, HIV infections and whatnot. So, Is that me? I'm sorry. Yes. Oh. <laughs> but what they discovered over a period of time, but ba basically in a nutshell, if you're just a user, a person with a substance use disorder, and you know you get caught with using amounts, that they're trying not to drive you into the criminal justice system. They're actually trying to get you help and put you in front of some professionals in recovery and say, hey, look, would you rather go down a, a road that's going to be hard to get out of or do you want to try to get into some recovery? And they basically do uh, outreach and engagement. And they found that to be very effective. What they discovered over the years, for example, the drug overdose deaths in 1999 were 369 and in 2016 they were only 30. Now this is a country of like 10.5 million people but you can do the math knowing what our country overdose deaths are with the Portugal model they, they'd be significantly decreased and in 1999 Portugal had 3,863 people incarcerated but as a result of this Portugal model, in 2017, they only had 1,140 incarcerated for um, drug offenses. That's pretty big, pretty big jump in numbers. And the money they saved in incarceration, they used it in the healthcare field Correct. to help these folks. So that's a pretty big deal as well. It is a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of room for improvement here in America. Now, America, and if you notice during our drug war buildup over the last 30 years, they invested incredible amounts of money in the criminal justice system. And here we are 30 years later, we got the same drug problem we always had. They diverted tremendous amount of money from the recovery field, the healthcare field, the treatment field. 
and we're, we're worse off now than we've ever been before. So the proof is in the pudding that what we've been doing for so long simply is not working. So now's the time to step up our game a little bit and, you know, do something different. Now, like I said, there's other agencies out there, like the Drug Policy Alliance, Community Anti-Coalition of America, otherwise known as CATCA, and uh, DPA, and a lot of organizations out there, they're doing their best, but, you know, the truth is, the best ain't getting it done. So it's now it's time to revitalize a push for some serious policy changes in the way we handle addiction and substance use disorders. So the purpose of this podcast is to stimulate interest, see who has an interest, see who has a heart, see who wants to really step up our game and, and go for some serious policy shifts and changes. You know, who in America wants to, you know, become a, a new warrior in this in this space? You know, let's let's really make a difference. You know, here we are, we have all this data, all this evidence based policies. We know right from wrong, but what but yet as a nation we continue to stay in a rabbit hole we don't need to stay in. And, you know, over the years I've read a few things and I remember back in 2007 when this document came out it was an article written by um, Mr. Burko and what what really irritated me was that he was recommending folks invest in the criminal justice system these publicly traded stocks on Wall Street you know a big buildup uh, in the correction industry and he said uh, like, for example, back then he was talking about GEO. He said, is the biggest and best in the business and is able to house pervert, mobsters, felons, thugs, and plug uglies cheaper than the states and counties. But the point of this is the stigma he associates with. We, we know, like, our local sheriff did a survey recently on how many people were in his jail for substance use disorders, and it was 87%. So this is a population that suffers from the mental illness, substance use disorders, but yet guys like this are brainwashing our nation, our, our investors, our corporations. He's trying to convince people that these human beings, these people with substance use disorders, are nothing but perverts, mobsters, felons, thugs, and plug uglies. Now. I'm a person in long-term recovery myself from substance use disorders. I've been drug and alcohol-free for almost 38 years. And yeah, I might be a plug ugly, okay? But I ain't never been a pervert, a mobster, or a felon, or a thug. And the most of the people that fall in this category, I, I, I will say some of them are ugly, but most of them aren't, and most of them aren't what they say they are. And then he goes on, the same article goes on to imagine the tens of thousands of people who would be unemployed if crime were to disappear. Drug Enforcement Administration, FBI folks, parole officers, deputy sheriffs, cops, corrections officers, judges and lawyers would be out of work and searching to classify for jobs. Property and casualty companies would lose billions of dollars in premium incomes and companies that make riot guns, handcuffs, maze, bulletproof vests, helmets, and other law enforcement equipment might go bankrupt. 
And he, he goes on to further say, in fact, some knowledgeable folks really believe that criminal activity is covertly encouraged by a capel of cops, DEA people, lawyers, and others whose incomes are made possible simply by the criminal activities. Yes, crime is a marvelous growth industry and contributes enormously to our gross domestic product. These knowledgeable folks suggest that crime accounts for nearly 17% of our GDP and that our economy would be severely crippled if crime were to fall by 50%. So it's safe to say that crime benefits a huge segment of the U.S. population. That is crime, 87% is substance use disorder people. Portugal has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you treat this illness as an illness, that you get massive reductions in criminal justice costs, you get massive improvement in recovery outcomes, death rates go down. It just, the stigma is killing us in America, okay? And it's time to call folks out on this. We cannot continue as a nation to stigmatize an illness, incarcerate mass populations, and don't get me wrong, I'm a public safety guy, okay? I don't want nobody stealing my lawnmower, weed eater, breaking in my house, but we need to separate out drug use, substance use disorders from actual public safety threats. And the time is now to start, you know, calling people out. The, um, can't see the comments. Anybody looking at comments over here? Yes. Uh, Donna asked, John, is there any way you could talk to the Michigan governor? Um, they're so conservative. Uh, Where you learn to read that, boy? You're from they, New Jersey, they, right? Yeah. What they teach you went to private school, didn't you? Our death rate has. Well, Michigan, yeah, I'm speaking to the governor right now. If he's listening and anybody knows the governor, ask the governor to pay attention. You know, Michigan is a state. Well, actually, they're doing some good work in Michigan, but it just ain't good enough, quick enough. What was the exact question? It was, um, John, is there a way you could talk to the Michigan, Michigan Governor Whitmer and, and sell this to her? Michigan is so conservative, and they think because our death rate has has down be has come down be two people a day. They're going. They're doing their job. I lost my daughter March 30th, 2015, to a fentanyl-laced heroin overdose that started at the dentist. Well, I'm, I'm feel terrible for your loss, number one. But state by state, we have got to mobilize folks in each state, create little posses of folks, and hopefully larger posses that we can start knocking on the doors of these lawmakers and policymakers in these states and explain to them that there's simply a better way to do it. But we just can't do it one time and quit and act like we did our job. We're in this thing for the long haul. I want to remind people, let's, let's just use the women's suffrage movement, for example. They started in 1848, and it took them to 1920 to get you know the right to vote. And during that period, a lot of people, you know, they, they didn't give up. They, they got bigger and larger, louder and prouder. Nothing about us without us. You know, where's our place at the table? You know, we're tired of being on the menu. And as time goes by, they got it done. Now, the good news is we're in a, not only are we in a social media age where we can get things done quicker, but now that everybody's learning how to use virtual and zooming in and everything, you know, because of our, stuff going on in our country right now, we should be able to do this quicker. So 
Well, we have to educate policymakers. Right, and and I think the main key for uh, the Portugal model was it was done on a national level. Um, they um, established treatment facilities with, and made access easier uh, for uh, substance use treatment for drug addicts, establishing so-called dissuasion commissions to persuade drug addicts to go into treatment. And most importantly, all drug treatment and control units were recognized into a comprehensive unit. In addition, existing practices of giving drug addicts a waiver for drug possession was codified in a new law. The law maintained the status of legality for using a, or possessing any drug for personal use without authorization. However, the persons addicted to said drug, their case was now deemed an administrative offense. The authority to impose penalties or sanctions in these cases was transferred from the police and justice system to the so-called dissuasion commission if the amount possessed was no more than 10 day supply and the substance was under a certain weight, they were able to avoid jail. Yeah, well, you know, I also want to, yeah, I can't stress it enough. You, you hear that old saying, all politics is local. You know, there's nothing wrong for local communities rising up, banging on the doors of your local supervisors and councilmen and, and let them know, look, localities, these commonwealth attorneys, you know, around here, we have several jails or several commonwealth attorneys locally that, for example, they just quit messing with marijuana, you know, kids getting busted with pot, they, the courtrooms are clogged up with more serious offenses, so you can start a trend locally and get some data, show that, you know, dealing with the, the problem, the core problem, instead of the symptoms so much, and dialing in, and now we got state policymakers. You know, in Virginia, for example, our, our attorney general wants to basically decriminalize marijuana completely and hopefully legalize it down the road. And all that money we're spending in that area can be saved, and we can use it in the healthcare area. But I think state by state, you could go and, and get the governments and the policies to change. You know, the federal government. They're only going to do with so much, but when they see states and localities start taking the initiative, adopting common sense policy, eventually the feds will catch up to it. So it's definitely it's going to be a local, state, and national push here. But the timing is, is perfect for this. I think you know we got so many people out here, and uh, you know it's just critical we get moving now. Portugal, one thing they did was. If you're a user, a person with a substance use disorder, a 10-day supply, you know, anything 10-day supply or under, they're not going to automatically lock you up or try to felonize you. That's when they go through those dissuasion committees and whatnot. They begin that process. Of course, you know, they, you know, drug deal is still outlawed in Portugal. you still got a lot of people who are, they just don't understand the depth of the Portugal model, but they still have common sense public safety policy, they still have prisons, they still have criminal justice, they just were able to decrease it by 40% simply by addressing the addicts, the alcoholics, those with severe substance use disorders. And, and like in America, for example, you know, you get three misdemeanors and a lot of times you can be a felon, you know, three strikes, you're out. Right. And the localities are still doing that, not all, but some have cut back. but. Look, look at our recent uh, 
national crisis where they're starting to give out tickets and fines for people violating the over 10 rule or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess if they got three of them in a row, you know, where there's a misdemeanor attached, you, you could create felon, felons overnight, you know. So a lot of these models that the criminal justice system uses, it's like they're using it for other areas in our, you know, law-breaking side or whatever. So, you know, now's the time, man. Nathan, you sitting over there. What do you got? Uh, Robert Legg, uh, to touch on what you were just speaking about, um, he says, what can we do at the local level? And then he says, or should we focus on the state legislatures? And I think you touched on this, but what can we do on the local level? Well, I think local, you know, the state will pay attention to what's happening locally. And when they start seeing some localities cranking out some incredible, innovative systems, you know, like paying more attention to the, the illness side of it instead of the crime side. And then don't get me wrong, you know, you, you break a law, commit a crime, you're going to do the time. But there, there is a difference between addiction, there is a difference between substance use disorder, there is a difference between that and the actual crime. Like, like in Virginia, you know, you get caught with a needle, that's a felony. You know, you get caught with a spoon, it's got residue on it, it's a felony. So. A lot of that stuff's got to go away overnight. You know, stop felonizing these kids for an illness. Now, if they if they get caught with a needle, a spoon, and you know they got three hundred dollars worth of stolen weed eaters in the trunk of their car, well, you know, you hit them for the weed eaters. You know, mm-hmm. remember, uh, I think we just raised our threshold for you know a thousand bucks in the felony now, so. But you don't need to stick them with these additional charges because that, that creates a big problem. Then then you've got this huge burden. You know, I go into jails and prisons all over America, and most of them are just, you know, they're loaded down with that 87%, you know, that Sheriff Wade did of the Henrico Jail. They got substance use disorder. These kids don't need additional felonies for the needles and the spoon, but they do need to pay for stealing, of course. So I think... We have to do a, a, a fundamental shift in the way we deal with certain crimes, certain activities. And I think it's going to be a slow road, but we got to start. And there already is a slow road happening in some localities, some states, and some communities, but it's just, it's not enough. We need to have like a tsunami of policy shifts in this area. Now, with the shift, will be a need, there will be an uptick in, in peer support providers and the MAT program and all these other multiple pathways that folks get linked to. So, yes, we will have to invest more money in those areas, you know, these rapid linkage organizations, non-government organizations. And, you know, a lot of doctors all across the country, you know, a lot of good science, good data, they make it real clear what solutions are and what they aren't. You know, recent solutions come out from Dr. Dupont, for those of you who know him, he gave a lecture uh, here in Richmond back in October 2017. And for those of you who don't know Dr. Dupont, you know, he has worked for uh, 17 White House drug czars, 14 heads of the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. This guy, I think he was credited with starting the, some methadone clinics in the late 60s in New York, but just an incredible expert in the field. And, uh, you know, when we had this conversation, how do we slow down the opioid deaths? How do we slow down addiction? How do we help these folks? Well, his answer was, 
quote, there's a lot of discouragement in our field and a lot of frustration, but there's one thing that's still growing, and that's the recovery movement. He said, that is our answer, 25 million strong and growing. We can look to that community for what to do and how they're doing it. Now, he's saying that for a reason. You know, data, science, history, this is what works. Now, he didn't say bureaucratize federal tax dollars flowing down to these communities. He didn't say stall out policies and rules and money in the state agencies. No, what he's saying is hurry up, get what works, get them in the game, evaluate them, pay them appropriately, you know, regulate them, you know, appropriately, but don't over-regulate this, you know. You can, you, a lot of times you can do more harm than good. So, a lot of movement out there. Frank, what do you got? I, um, it, it, it's just discouraging because we have needle exchange set up here and, um, you know, we, we knew someone personally who, who came out and, and, uh, and was charged with the possession of, of, a, of a needle. So, um, and that's really kind of what jump-started the Portugal model, right, was the HIV yeah, and AIDS. They, yeah, they wanted to originally, how to reduce HIV infection rate from intravenous drug use, and then they created this incredibly, not perfect, but, but I think one of the best models I've seen out there. Not only, not only that, but it's good enough to where we can learn from the good part of it. Right. And even make adjustments to the stuff that may not be so hot and do some things different here. You know, harm reduction is a big thing in America. And harm reduction, it's like, it's, it's scientifically based, data-driven. It really works, you know what right. I mean? It's like, it's almost like, why aren't we doing massive harm reduction? States, you know, they're trying to create state safe consumption sites. You know, they got great peers out there doing that engagement. You know, doing the outreach engagement. And uh, Massachusetts, I see, is having a little struggle here. Thank you, Jennifer, for the, your uh, input on this. The, um, you know, safe safe injection sites, harm reduction, peers in the field. It just simply works now. It's scary to some people, you know, that, but it's okay. You, you know, you can be scared, but trust the professional, trust the science, trust the data, trust the boots on the ground doing the work. And, you know, there'll be a little shakeup period during massive harm reduction implementation. But when you get through the grow up, you know, the, uh, the beginning stage, it, it always ends up pretty good, you know, so. You mentioned uh, spending a little bit more money on authentic peer recovery support services, a lot more money. Well, I know that we've got some numbers and we can talk about the difference between the, the savings. Well, I know what we do here, we've been collecting data now for 16 years at McShin, and it, it, it is so clear, and I think this runs pretty much parallel with any organization like us in, the, in these type programs around the country. We actually reduce recidivism by at least 40%, those who come through a recovery support provider organization, included, you know, recovery housing. Sober living is very important. And and this is across the board reductions. You know, we, we track our people. We have folks here, many people here who, for example, use the emergency rooms as their primary care physician. That's decreased by 60%. A population, 
you know, to get a job increased by almost 70%. So you, you take away the cost to the taxpayers for the, the uses of the, the hospitals. You, uh, they, they, they now they're not housed in jails or prisons. They're, they're paying their own bed fee in a, in a sober house, for example. And, and the good part about this is these organizations and agencies are run by people in recovery, authentic peers in recovery. So that lived experience connection is just the value goes through the roof. So here we are all across America, recovery community organizations, peer support providers, people with lived experience. They're doing their best. They're jumping in the game. They're, they're creating incredible outcomes. But yet, it's like pulling teeth, trying to get evaluated and reimbursed. You know, these existing agencies, they create all the policies, they hoard all the funds, and they might let a bone go out here and there, a little trickle down here and there. And now is not the time. Now is the time to open, you know, the floodgates, so to speak. Go out there and find all these people doing the great work. Value them, reimburse them. Build them up, not beat them down. I mean, it's like the best players in the game that can win the game, you're intentionally benching them. Hmm. You know, just, I guess, so you can get all the play time. I, I don't get it, you know. Either your children are going get, to get addiction down the road, too, you know, your loved ones. You know, you got a 40% guaranteed solution to a big problem, but yet to this day, we can't get the, the play that we need. And, and just look at, look at the current crisis in America right now and across the world with the coronavirus. If somebody stepped up and said, hey, look, I don't have a solution how to take care of all your problems, but I got a 40% solution, and it's a lot less money than what you're currently spending on solutions you really don't have. You don't think they wouldn't jump on that? And it's because the stigma is why it's not happening. You know, just like that article written by, you know, Mr. Burko in 07, it's hard to get people to buy in and believe, you know, the incredible systems and changes that need to be made when the stigma is so high. So we got stigma issue, we got lack of willingness issue. We do not have a lack of people that want to be in this space and do this great work. There's no lack of peers, okay? The, uh, you know, and then I, got, I want to touch on some of the uh, the new policies coming out for peers in this space because you know recently there's been a huge capital infusion in agencies across America with the state opioid response funds. I think they changed the name to it lately, but the Trump bump. You know, Virginia, for example. You know, we got like I don't know what we got thirty nine million and maybe another total four, forty four total of forty four million dollars. And I uh, got a got a, a uh, an editorial written by Jim Carroll, the uh, director of the White House uh, Office of National Drug Control Policy. Wonderful man, by the way. You know, he gets it. You know, he went on to write a nice article on how good you know McShane is because he knows us. He's been to our events. He's seen us in action. He really praises us and people like us all across the country. And then he talks about the funds that you know the White House released. But yet, at the end of the day, I don't think, I'm not sure we got any of those funds here at McShen, you know. All we've ever asked for was reimbursement for guys in sober living that having a hard time getting a job, paying their bed fees. You know, reimburse us for shoring up a, a great 
outreach facility, you know, with peer workers. We're not asking, and most people aren't asking for a lot of money. You know, they just they just need that little bit to get that maximum outcome. So, the, uh, and I'm going to speak on probably an unpopular topic, but this crosses politics, right? Like, it, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. You have to treat the person, and and that's you know addiction the politics and special interest oh my is what, god is what's killing us people well today. there's many ways to look at it you know let's say you you took the time out to build invest and uh scale up mass production of the electric typewriters you know <laughs> I, I love this analogy mm -hmm. you know you got all these companies using the electric typewriter everybody loves it they create college courses on how to type really fast and just a marvelous era in the history of mankind well what how do you think they felt when when the laptops come along you know what i mean so our agencies and our policymakers, because of the special interest they hung up on this typewriter mentality when we're sitting over here with the laptop you know right. and and you know look look almost at the postal office in a way you know Years ago, like when I was in the Marine Corps, it was a big deal to get a letter. A lot of mail coming and going, you know. Now everything's email. A lot more efficient, a lot quicker, a lot more productive. It's like the only time you get a mail, a letter, is either somebody's in jail or prison writing, you know, <laughs> or, uh, you know, IOU or something from a collector, you know. IRS. But it's just, it's just amazing, you know, how we get so embedded in, in things that we want to conserve when in reality it's time to let go of some things and do things different. And that's what that Portugal flip would look like, you know? Why would you not use the best available data and science out there to solve a problem that, that may infect and kill your child, your loved one? It just doesn't make sense. Right, so you had a comment back a little ways back here from Alan Bowman. Um, he had said he'd, he's just found out about the, about my shin. He has a son with an addiction problem. At this time, do you know of any NA meetings or Zoom meetings or some way he could log in online? Well, I know right now, I've never in my whole recovery life or in my life period seen so much content popping up online there must be a million na or aa or mat social support group popping up any you could google na.org and they they got so many sites you can go to to tap into a meeting i'm sure aa.org got them you, you can actually go to mcshin.org mcshin.org and go to our blog page there's resources there available that can get you to the AA, to the NA, the other uh, mutual aid fellowships. Yeah, I know we've been mm -hmm. on top of it. So is a lot of other organizations and agencies. Yeah, SAMHSA, you know, I know they got great website to go to. A little noodle in Google and you'll find some stuff. Even uh, the, uh, you know, ONDCP got some stuff out there. I mean, it won't be hard to find a ton of Zooms and media support out there. And then yet another comment here from I guess I believe it's Rest Foundation that said I'm hoping that all is going with all that is going on with COVID nineteen might encourage permanent change like the release of some incarcerated a change for better where people cannot afford bills if, if they're elected. Well, you know it's funny you should mention that because I'm reading in the paper I'm seeing on news that we're even getting people here at McShan that the jails are letting them out go somewhere to go. 
uh, and police aren't necessarily trying to arrest a bunch of people out there for just using or breaking those kind of laws. They're focusing on real public safety crimes. And it just goes to show maybe we should have been doing that all along. You know, maybe it takes a crisis for us to take a look and ask ourselves, do we really need to be locking all these kids up for, for just simple addiction purposes, you know? Should we really just be focused on real public safety? So I think this is a nice period in our history where we'll have a learning curve for you. Know, we can learn from this stuff, you know? The, the Attorney General spoke uh, about two weeks ago and said, you know, look at ways to divert people from the criminal justice system for nonviolent offenders. And that includes, of course, uh, substance use disorder. You know, as you know, it's a felony for uh, possession of substance one or two. Well, narcotic. you know, that, that, that's a conversation a lot of folks have had. And I do think our current AG means business. And, and he's been one that has really trying to do what he said he's going to do in, in that area. So I'm, I'm inspired mm -hmm. by current AG and, and, and what his thoughts are on this. But, but remember, like any elected official or top dog like that, it's going to take the people under you to agree with you and go along with it. And as long as we got so many special interest groups out there, right. you know, muddying the waters and uh, you know, woe is me, and what if, and man, I got news for you. It's time. The time is here to have to shut down the private private prison industry. Well, I mean, it's good and hate with that. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. You, you, even if, even when it's not privatized, well, it still is with all the contracts. It, well, what you got to, what you need to, yeah, but what I think you need to eliminate, the, the way they incentivize keeping a jail full, you know, right. like, like some jails all across America, this plays out in communities all across America. Jail opens up, they sign contracts with the phone companies, the honey right. bun companies. Uh, they actually get signing bonuses, you know. Some jails will actually get a fat check in advance. And the deal is, look, you got to keep those phones ringing, which means you got to keep heads in the bed so you keep your quota going. Right. And if you fall below that number, then you got to give us some of our bonus money back. And, and, you know, and don't think there's not a little ripple effect throughout every component of that jail you know um it just so that's the stuff you got to look out for you know i'm not opposed to privatizing i'm just opposed to incentivizing based on the need to keep heads in beds you know and certain laws will certainly fill up beds now the stuff we're talking about will, will definitely affect that a little bit so but remember Portugal, they've only really reduced their criminal justice population. I think it's about 40%. So it's not like these private jails and companies will go out of business. They'll just lose that ability to rig the system a little so bit. We have another question from Lori McDougal. Why do you think that it is so difficult to convince people, even with all of the evidence that points to a structure like the Portugal flag? Well, Lori, it's really simple. You got all these people. They're in an industry, in a business that they work really hard to get into. They, you know, there's like a little gravy train going on, not only just financially, but emotionally and mentally. And nobody really wants to come off with their little piece of the empire. You know, even though it's time. It's like, look at World War II breaks out. 
Well, let's go a little further back to World War One. You had the cavalry, very proud tradition, sword, swashbuckling, horse riding beast. You know what I mean? And then we hit it. We hit a, a space in our history where, man, we need tanks and planes and machine guns. You know, the, the cavalry guys get shot down too quick and easy. So you had to phase out one piece of history, then bring in another piece to keep winning wars. World War Two. Them battleship commanders, they didn't want to give up them battleships, but guess what? That aircraft carrier come along, and next thing you know, we learn about the need and the power of aircraft carriers and fighter planes, and things change. People don't like change, you know. It's as simple as that, you know, and here we are in 2020, and we're holding on to the cavalry and, and the and the battleships, and what we need is tanks and aircraft carriers and <laughs> And and we and a lot of folks they just spent. You got to realize, like the treatment center, for example, that's an invention that just really come along in the last fifty years. And it was actually shepherded in by the recovering people, folks in recovery, you know. And so they build this great treatment model. And I'm not saying it it's not a cure all, but they're damn good. You know, we got some great treatment models out there, but. Now ain't the time, and we got to invest in treatment, but at the same time, we got to invest in recovery supports. We got to invest in sober living. We have to decrease ridiculous drug laws, ridiculous policies. You know, you do a lot of things at one time, then we can maximize the outcome of our efforts, and that's how we get the best model in the world. America, it is ridiculous that we don't have the best recovery model in the world for substance use disorders. We have all the data, all the science, all the facts. We just got to get the willingness at all these different, you know, agencies, all these different people in the business. They got to come together and say, let's do what's right for the consumer. Let's do what's right for the addict. Let's well, what do you think would right to like the money that they put within the DEA and the FDA? You know, we, if we just had 10% of that coming down to the states to the authentic recovery Well, I think, I mean, you know, look, we need the FDA, we need the DEA, you know, they do some great work, but they do some some, some rigging type work and some shoddy stuff along the way. <laughs> and all you gotta do is Google some of these things and not saying that Google is 100% accurate or correct, but there's definitely enough well, evidence. Well, history is his documentary sure, there. But, <laughs> but I, I think when it comes to that, I think, I think, all right, here, our federal government, let's say they spend in whatever they spend, keep spending on what you spend on, but look, there's got to be like a 20% carve out for the authentic recovering community. It's got to flow through and down to those people. You know, you can't get caught up in, you know, rigging agencies that want to play keep away. So you got to get money to folks doing the work for sure. But remember, I said we have to also adjust on some of these criminal justice policies, you know. That Portugal flip, I'm telling you, there's a nugget in there. That's a diamond in the rough for America, you know. You got another comment. There's multiple comments here, mm -hmm. um, but we got one from Rob saying, is there an organization that funds foundations like the Machine Foundation and others that could re receive funding from the federal, federal government instead of $25 million to the Dan Kennedy Center? is about to receive in recent stimulus package approved. <laughs> well, that imagine was multiple we, questions. Imagine if we right. got 25 but, million. But, but, and they deserve it. Yeah, but listen now, the, the, it's hard for an agency like us to get funding from anybody. You know, we self-funded, self-started, you know, 
and it's just difficult you know we're, we're just too effective and too inexpensive for you know at least government agencies to try to fund us now the kennedy center my personal opinion on it is they probably need that money to bring back the workers so i think in the end end it'll probably go to the workers the people working there taking tickets you know selling popcorn whatever they do there so I think I think that's a service industry hit, you know. Hopefully, Kennedy Center ain't all bad. So, <laughs> you had another one from yeah, another one from Lori McDougal. Any ideas on how to get law enforcement to back or support policy that is not only that not only benefits the person with the SED, but also families and the community as well? It seems more difficult to get law enforcement on board. Well. The way I'm seeing it, a lot of law enforcement, criminal justice, they, they really are thinking and acting and wanting what we're talking about. So there is a little slow tide turn there. You know, there, there's a lot of these law enforcement guys, they're doing incredible work. They're really bending over backward and being open-minded and trying to help uh, nurture this change that's taking place. It's just the hardcore ones. And they just, you know, I got this old saying, stuck on stupid, you know. They just, they ain't coming off their guns, their budgets, you know. They just, they believe what guys like Burko said, you know, that, that the stigma is real, you know. It's in their DNA. And that may be why it took the women's suffrage movement 72 years. You, you know, you had to have some old people die off, you know, and get the new thinkers up in there. So, you know, two things got to happen at once, you know. Keep with the surge of the open-minded, the, the the law enforcement components and folks and people out there that they know what time of day it is and they, they're behind us, they support us. And it's just a constant battle. You know, you can't give up on this stuff. You know, you you, you, you pick a mission, you get some people involved and you, and you move forward. It's real simple stuff, you know. I think it's, it's uh, incredibly important to be, you know, people in recovery to be a face and voice a positive face and voice of recovery and just living our daily lives paying our taxes taking care of the little things here and there and then talking to our representatives our, our delegates and, and our, our you know i i've spoken with the commerce attorney in the last couple of days just to simply say hey we got the lights gone here you right. know check in so that's how we can we can we need to be uh, people in recovery need to be uh focused on being that face and voice of recovery so they can see and many of the people out there, you know, like law enforcement I've talked to, you know, they, they, they're, they're cousins, they're brothers, their families are affected by substance use disorder too. They're sick of locking people up for a disease. So I, I see it. You know, also prevention, you know, mm. we continue to teach kids at a, at a young like age. Portugal addresses it. Well, yeah, when these kids, we continue age. to teach them that it's the kiss of death. It's the worst thing that can happen. If you ever get it, don't tell nobody. Keep it a secret. You know, it's <laughs> like crazy, right. man. You got to teach your kids, look, not not if, but when, because of the large portion of you kids are going to become substance use disorder folks. And you, you need to know what to do when you get it. And uh, not getting help is not the thing you do. You know, I remember as a kid growing up, they had, they had a commercial of this Native American in a canoe rowing through, I think with a river in Pittsburgh, maybe, full of pollution, and the guy had a tear coming down his eye. And I think since then, we've cleaned up a lot of rivers around America, and you could probably drink the, the water now that that Native American guy was rowing his canoe through. And and it was 
a shift in thinking about pollution that, that helped clean up our rivers and creeks in America. And litter. When I was a kid, they had they came out with all these litter commercials. You know, now, now kids don't litter as much and, and save the whales. You know, they're teaching kids the truth about things, you know, and it's your responsibility to, to make difference. But they're not doing that with addiction in schools. They continue with the same prevention methods. You got somebody that, that you know, you need more lived experience telling these kids the truth at a younger age and educate them, teach them about compassion, understanding, health. You know, this is a medical, clinical problem. It's not it's not a it's not a a, a, a law breaking problem, although they, they do have problems with that. But we gotta well, change the message with the kids. Right. Well I remember from your story as as well, one thing I remember like when you were young, you were like, they lied to me. Right. Oh, see, yeah, because addiction is a young age. Kids, they, you know, you got 11, 12, 13, 14-year-olds starting to use drugs. And, you know, when you're using it at that age, you can become a liar on a daily basis. You know, all of a sudden, you're, you're rewiring your brain. It's okay to be lying on a daily basis. It's okay to be manipulating and counting on a daily basis. So by the time you're 23, you're a pro. But, you know, you got to catch those kids at those young age, you know, but... You know, we got some challenges, you know, and it starts with the discussion, but then once you have your discussion, you gotta, you know, you gotta get some troops together, you know, build 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 an infrastructure to make change. And right now our infrastructure, local, state, and national, they're splintered. You know, you got all these great organizations and agencies out there trying to make changes that we need to make, but they're so splintered and disenfranchised from each other and that and I think that's done by design on the special interests, you know. So, you know, somehow we have to align. Because we probably got a lot of resources out there right now that it would take to make the quickest changes possible. But, you know, we need to start aligning and, and, you know, getting this thing done, man. Well, we have different organizations that measure success different ways. And I know there was some debate last year where we were talking the success of spending several hundred thousand dollars on billboards. And I just, I couldn't, and I, I, I know this is a lot of work, but it angers me to think that that money was spent well, on billboards. Well, a lot of that state overboard response mm-hmm. dollars, you know, it just got very little of it actually went to the poor newcomer. Right. Really all they needed was a, a peer to help them, guide them, link them, you know, get them in a sober house, you know, get them to a recovery center, you know, work with them for three months, six months, get them healthy where they can get a job, you know, help them get their license back, you know, stuff like that, you know. And that that's unfortunately the way most of that went. But moving forward, you know, maybe we can get some changes there, you know. It's 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 back to what I said earlier. We got the data, we got the science, we know where we need to increase spending, we know where we're wasting money, and we know what's not working. You know, you hear a lot of law enforcement folks say, we can't arrest the way out of this, yet they want an increase in their budget every year. You know, well, apparently you can't arrest your way out of it, and you continue to do it, you know. If you really want to stop arresting your way out of it, change policies, change laws, fund recovery communities, fund peer support service providers, eliminate the red tape, you know, do away with some of the idiotic bureaucratic BS. We could go from 
from the, the criminal justice being 20% of our GDP to, to actual treatment and care, well, right? Because that, that we would take a hit. Well, 17% back in 07 by that guy's estimation. But yes, when you have a, a rise in the healthcare section, you want a, a lower the criminal justice. It's like a little pump action can take place. So, you know, it, it's back to here we are in 2020. Mm -hmm. We're so much better than we are, yet we continue to be insane. You know, another lesson we can learn from this national crisis is, you know, it's a terrible crisis. We're all in to help do our part. Yet I've noticed they quickly change policies. They they quickly made emergency laws and rules. They quickly funded things, you know, but yet because of the stigma associated with addiction, oh no, nah, you know, keep keep doing what we're doing, keep getting the same results, you know, well what the heck? You just showed what you can do if you had the willingness, you know, why not get some willingness over here, you know? Let's work on that Portugal flip. Let's use the good parts of that for for our policies, our procedures, what we do over here. Let's make a couple changes, you know. So I just I What just, would you start with first? Well, I always said there's three things America needs to do. I love the way Port Portugal identifies the addicts and the alcoholics and, and they don't felon out and they don't lock them up. The way they do their engagement, their dissuasion committees and whatnot, that's just masterful in my mind. Immediately flip to that. And yes, that would mean changing the laws. You know, how are you gonna help a kid which the he got a needle, we know he's an addict or he or he, he's you know an alcoholic living in the woods. How are we gonna help him if they're gonna be a felon? So you gotta you know, those are some areas, low hanging fruit, change that stuff immediately. Fund a service support provider. Uh, marijuana, you know, it's ridiculous they don't treat it like alcohol. You know, it's ridiculous it's on a schedule one. You know, it's just those are the first two things. There's three things. Change the marijuana laws immediately. Uh, President Trump can just sign an executive order and remove it from Schedule 1 and say, it's up to the states. Treat it like alcohol. Number two, stop felonizing the addicts. Stop with the, you know, any anything, user amounts or less, can't be a felony. Can't even be a, can't even be a criminal charge. Engage them, dissuasion, procedures like like uh, Portugal, but fund it, you know, invest the money in it. It's it's really simple stuff. Those three things right there within five years, we can be the model the rest of the world to follow and wishes they had. I mean, it's just simple stuff. So do you think you'll, in, in so in 57, I think, or 56, 57, it was classified a disease. Right. It's still an illness. Addiction is still a disease. Yeah, I mean, but, it's, it's, but in your lifetime, so from, from 57, here we are in, in 2020, it's still being criminalized. It's still you, you not know, being you, a health care you, you issue. Get, you, get, you get terrible advisors along the way, special <laughs> interests. You know, I tell everybody, you know, I told Mr. Trump this recently, you know, if you surround yourself with warriors, you get warrior results. You need warriors, but if you surround yourself with a bunch of Kool-Aid drinking, special interest, greedy little bastards, that's what you're going to get. And there's a ripple effect that affects everybody that's paying the bill, the taxpayers. 
And if the taxpayers really knew how fleeced they were getting on these issues, you know, hell, they might have a revolution, man, you know. It just, it just, I'm amazed at the way we in a rabbit hole and the people that benefit from it, they love the rabbit hole. They don't care who they take down with them. And, and they really, it's really just a disgraceful situation, you know. Well, that's one of the things that Kyler actually commented back here. He said in 2019, 73% of the Machin alumni have been have not been arrested since leaving the Machin Foundation. Data reflects alumni had that had from that had previous you know arrest right. records. So, like in that right there is a good example that's, that's of huge. how peer to peer it's back it's back to evidence based and data. But but unfortunately, we're not in the evidence based or data club, you know. You know, you got people rigging what's allowed, what's not allowed. You got people, you know, it's funny, man. It's like every time we get close, close to the goal line on some things as a nation, as recovering communities, the people in charge change the goal. You know, they move the goal, you know. So that's another thing, you know. I would start investigating some of these people rigging our systems, too. You know, start calling these people out, you know. We got a long history of crookedness, of rigging, of poor policies, of bad planning. Matter of fact, if this was corporate America, you'd been bankrupt. Well, not only that, you'd have been fired, fired. And, and, <laughs> and sent to jail for fraud. You know, right, right. but only the government can you can right. make terrible decisions and get away with it. And not, not produce anything. Either. If we were in the yes. corporate system, we might we might get a giant golden parachute and be sent out to pasture and go be well, the CEO somewhere else. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> Well, we got problems, but we got solutions, you know, but we need, we need, you know, we just need people. You know, if, if you're hearing this podcast, if you like what you're hearing, if you want to be part of the solution, wherever you are in America or the world for that matter, just pile on, man. Mm -hmm. You know, join these local organizations. Join the ones that are doing the hard work trying to get the, the, the real change to happen the soonest, and uh, we can do it. But, you know, folks like us, we can't do but so much for so long. It's, it's as simple as that. It's a mathematical equation we're working with here. My, my wife actually wrote <laughs> in and she said, uh, everything can be mobilized for an emergency. So why haven't we? Well, because it's just not an emergency. You know what I mean? You know, continuing to do what we do is just not an emergency. You know, it's weird how that is. You treat one illness one way, another illness another way, you know, Imagine if we had freedom of religion in America, but it was only Christian freedom, you know? Anything outside of Christian, you, you ain't free, man. These rules, you got one set of rules here and one set of rules over there. You know, a lot of us remember the Jim Crow era, if you don't Google it, you know? You know, we're in a recovery Crow era right now, you know? It's just, it's just not right, you know? We have to, you got, got to get past this. Well, you, you bring up a good point, an interesting point. You know, we look at other civil rights movements throughout history, and you see a lot of court involvement. You look at, I think, in the Brown versus the Board of Education, I think in 1956, um, Loving versus Virginia, Love, which was, yeah. uh, which was uh, white interracial marriage. marriages here in Virginia. We look at the, the LGBTQ movement, which had Texas versus I forget what that was back in 1998, which made sod, which outlawed sodomy laws, um, and then the you know the court cases with you know I think I think there's a there's a a lack of court involvement I think uh, that that might be of, of service to us as a community I think we're and I don't know where you to know, put that in we got as long as sure as we have 
data and science on what we should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. We have history of what we did and didn't do, what we should have shouldn't have done. I mean, I'm telling you, we got a full package right here in America. It's just crazy and ridiculous. I don't think half of America actually sees that we're in a, a civil rights battle with, with substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. No, because they're yeah. probably busy working, you know, just minding their own business, keeping their nose in the grindstone. You know, how many how many Americans really don't read a paper or watch the news? I think it's a lot. You know, it's easy to, you know, build a nation of sheep in many ways. Well, I, just, I think that's where the stigma comes in. I think people make their mind up. They don't right. want to get educated, you know. Right. Yeah I, yeah, I got a problem with that on some things myself, you know. I think half my family doesn't even believe in the disease yeah. concept, you know. Well... I think that's half a family's problems in America. But, you know, moving forward, if you like what you're hearing, you know, send me a, a private message. Uh, you know, get on our Facebook pages. Watch for more uh, intel and information on this. But we are going to, you know, kick some butt moving forward. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to make sure that there's a loud voice out there for changing policies. We're going to make sure that, uh, you know, we're not going silent or quiet. We're not going away. So, you know, I think we're in for some good, healthy times, you know, when it comes to this. Closing thoughts? It's a, it's a, a forward-moving issue. I think it we do one of the best jobs out of any... Uh, facility around as far as uh, well, I'm help. talking about the Portugal flip about as a nation and you know not so much as an individual company. I, I still think it starts at a federal level because that's what Portugal did state states yeah it can start local but until the federal government decriminalizes uh, marijuana and, and starts use treat, amounts right and using amounts and start yeah. treating it from a, a health care perspective we're we're not it has to start at the federal level what do you think Nathan? i mean i like what you always say the proof is in the pudding you look at portugal you've got fewer people on the street using drugs i mean hands down you got people back at work paying taxes doing the things and living lives worth living you know it's treating it as a health care crisis well i think portugal they do still have a lot of people using drugs sure but the numbers are going but, down but the correction Population went down, and the recovery population and went overdose up, deaths went way, way down, down, way down, and they ended up saving a lot of taxpayers a lot of money. Yeah. It's just you know, so all right, folks, we're gonna we're going we might new do do this conversation more frequently. So just you know, keep your eyes to announcements, and we'll see where we go from here. We thank everybody for tuning in, joining up, and. Uh, Send me some private messages, email me, call me, Facebook me. But uh, we we're starting to, we're, we're reinvigorating the movement. Yes. And, you know, so glad to be here. Thank y'all you for having me. Y'all have a good John. day. All right. Thank you, John. Later.